Hello, you gorgeous individual. If you're a new listener, you are most welcome. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. I'm delighted to have you here either way. Now, before we get into my conversation with Daniel and Jose Luis from the ELT in Chile podcast that I did, what was it, in January now? I just want to say a really big thank you to everyone listening who has helped my podcast grow over the last six months or so since I've been going it alone, basically. It was quite scary when I started, but I'm so glad I personally persevered and every time I get a positive comment or a private message from someone telling me that they've enjoyed their podcast, it makes it all worthwhile. I seem to have a real core of listeners who tune in every week. I'd love to know more about you and who you are. So as you know, I release an episode three weeks out of every month on a Monday usually, and I post a little soundbite on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn under Erin O'Burn on LinkedIn. I'd love you to listen and then find that post on my social media and comment beneath it. Comment about, you know, what you thought of the episode, if you have any other thoughts, things that I didn't include, anything really. I'd just love you to talk to me and also engage with anybody else commenting on those posts as well. I'd love to build a community around the podcast. Another thing you can do is to share the post that I talked about on your story or maybe on your feed. And this helps to spread the word of everything EFL to other teachers. If you listen on Spotify or iTunes, you could always leave five stars or a kind worded review to push me up the ratings as well. Anyway, enough about me. Here is my discussion from January with Daniel and Jose Luis of ELT in Chile podcast. Enjoy. Hi, this is Erin and welcome to Everything EFL my little podcast about English language teaching and other teachy stuff too. Credit and honourable mentions will be given during the episode or in the show notes. Let's crack on. So I think it might be best if you just do an in a nutshell self-introduction, guys. Who wants to go first? Go ahead, Jose Luis. Okay, so my name is Jose Luis Poblete. I'm an English teacher. I also have a master's degree in linguistics and literature. Uh, let's say, well, I've been working, let's say, a lot teaching at universities where I usually teach uh, English language courses and also linguistics. And now we've been experimenting a lot, let's say, during the last two years with corpus linguistics. I also teach freelance. I've taught in high schools and primary schools here in Chile. So I think I've been teaching for, I don't know, more than 10 years. That's a long time. And uh, well, we have this project with Daniel, you know, this podcast project. And I also participate in a research group with some other colleagues, Carlos Veloso and Esther Singer. So I think that would be my, <laughs> let's say, introduction. Daniel, wow. your turn. Busy bee. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So my name is Daniel Gwynn. I am from the United States. People could probably tell from my voice and looking at me. So uh, <laughs> with my educational background, I studied Spanish, German, and education in university. And I got my teaching credentials and master's in teaching. So before coming to Chile, I taught kindergarten, Spanish, and German in California and also in New Jersey. And let's see, I have been here about 11 years. I started out teaching at a school as a teaching assistant that I moved on to teaching in institutes, universities, and now I'm working completely freelance. And as Jose Luis said, I am one half the ELT and Chile podcast that we do together. Lovely. Um, so I think that will probably lead to my first question. Um, and I think, Daniel, you'll have to answer this one. Um, what brought yes. you to Chile? How did you get your first job? 
Well, I originally wanted to come here right after I graduated from university. Um, and the first three opportunities didn't work out for me. Um, so I went into teaching in California, got laid off three years in a row with the economy. And then I found this program called Teaching Chile. So I actually went over with them. They got me set up with a student visa. They put me in a school as a teaching assistant. And um, so that was how I first got here. Okay. And again, I'm going to start with Daniel and then Jose Luis, you can probably kind of jump in as and when. What um, cultural differences are there between your nationality and Chileans that a teacher has to be mindful of in the classroom that could cause a misunderstanding? That's a really good question. Um, If we're thinking strictly in the classroom, I think one thing is that Chileans in general aren't really used to working in groups. They're not really used to pair work. They're very much used to copying down from the board and there being one correct answer. The teacher calling on one student, that student giving a response. Um, So the idea of working in partners, doing things that are more student-centered, working in groups. Um, Chileans, they, they don't really understand how it works at first. So I think the teachers need to be a little patient with them, uh, you know, when they're starting to see what that feels like and what that looks like. Okay. Uh, what, I don't know. Do you think that's accurate, Jose Luis? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think that's something that we've been trying to implement for a while, you know, the idea of let's say having people working together. And also, like you said, student-centered activities, those are very difficult for us because uh, let's say in Chile, I think most people are used to the teacher having everything under control, you know, like you giving the activities, let's say yeah. teachers checking the work. So I think that in a way, like, let's say, uh, having more autonomous students, I think that that's been a big challenge here because of, uh, let's say the way that the culture works here. And how about outside the classroom, Jose Luis, would there be something that, um, a foreigner coming into Chile should know maybe in a, a social context, something like that? I mean, in social context, I think I, I think that things are a little different, you know, in social context, you know, like, for example, uh, I, uh, Daniel and well, myself, we usually see our students, let's say we can run into them and we can have a friendly conversation, you know, and they are really friendly to us. But I think, let's say the classroom makes a, let's say, changing people's, let's say, way of uh, maybe uh, behaving. But let's say, because I think everybody expects the teacher to be, let's say, the, the person who has all the, let's say, knowledge. And outside the classroom, things are, let's say, different. We tend, Chileans are really friendly, you know, we tend to be really friendly people. We are really welcoming. And uh, yeah, I don't know, and Danny, what do you have to say about that? So I think of two main things. Uh, one thing that I think of is that um, in terms of a social situation or, you know, interacting with students outside of the classroom, One thing is there is a word that does not exist in the Chilean vocabulary, and that is the word no. (laughs) Um, So for some reason for Chileans, it's very, very uncomfortable to have to tell someone no. And even if you say it in a very polite way, it's very, very difficult for them. And they see it as very, very rude. So what happens is their way of saying no will be things like saying, oh, yeah, maybe that sounds like a good idea. I'll call you when I have time or they may just not respond whatsoever. And if you do not know that little nuance of communication in Chile, it can make things very, very complicated. You know, um, if, you're tr- if you're like a very, very concrete person. Okay. Um, another thing I think of is that people will make plans, but then they're not confirmed unless you confirm the day before. Because I think the way the Chileans think, it's like, okay, they have a plan, 
they have, you know, an idea of what they want to do, but things change along the way. Maybe something's come up with a family, you know, member, maybe something's come up with a friend, you know, uh, maybe on, as time gets closer, they decide they don't really want to follow through with that plan. So I think that that's one thing that um, I've had to get used to, you know, confirming things the day before. Okay. And would you say those two statements are fair, Jose Luis? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like the, the, uh, what Daniel said about, let's say, saying no, I think that's something that we usually teach. For example, when I have to teach model verse, like, yeah, I'm going to go, I will go, I may go, and I might go. I think if I just give the equivalent in Spanish, people just say, go like, oh, yeah, like, I may go, you know, that means like, no, but just I just have to tell them, like, <laughs> you know, just say no to that. So, and, and uh -huh. uh, let's say... The second thing, I mean, I, I've known Daniel for, let's say, for a couple of years now. And I mean, I, I also, let's say, have, um, a, let's say, a sort of uh, uh, planner, you know. So in that way, I really need to, let's say, but that's true. We have to confirm things. If I have, let's say, a private class, I have to talk to my student, let's say, the, the day before, like, okay, so we're having a class tomorrow, right? So I really have to confirm, like, have to be, let's say, on top of that. Otherwise, let's say, uh, people are going to assume that, that that's not happening. And that can be really annoying if somebody's not really used to it, let's say, the way that we usually, uh, let's say, function. Wow, culturally. that's really interesting and very useful, I think, which is exactly why I'm recording this episode. So brilliant. Uh, We're on the right track. Um, so let's just do a little sidetrack and dive into a couple of true falses here. I'm just going to throw a few stereotypes at you um, or statements at you, and you can just tell me whether they're true or false. Okay. 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 okay first one. Chile has great Merlot. Well, uh, let's say in terms of wine, I do think, well, not, I don't know if it's Merlot exactly, but let's have, let's say Cabernet Sauvignon. I think that's one of the most famous ones, but let's say in terms of wine, Chile has pretty good wine. So that's, I would say it's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't really drink too much anymore, but I do know, uh, from times when I have drunk before, you know, the wine is very good quality. It is very affordable compared to other parts of the world. <laughs> true. Okay. That's one great reason to uh, get on a plane and fly over to see you then. <laughs> Um, next one. Uh, let's have a look. Street food. Street food is a thing. Mm, I think it is a thing, but I don't know that I would really eat much street food. Um, I would get things like sopaipillas, which is kind of like fried dough that people eat. Um, I don't know that I would eat meat off of, um, as street food and things like that, because I don't know that it's cooked properly. I don't know, you know, with the sanitation and things like that. So that's my take on it. I don't know. What do you think, Jose Luis? I think, yeah, I mean, there is there is some street food, but let's say Chilean people don't usually have street food. They usually go to, um, for like Daniel said, the example of the fried dough, let's say in the, uh, in, in the last few years, the, there's been an influx of uh, immigrants for, from Venezuela and Peru. They have brought, let's say, their own street food, let's say, but Chilean street food, I don't think it's very common to find here. I mean, because you can usually find those things in a... I don't know, in a restaurant, like much, let's say that that's easier. They are really easy to find. I mean, here really okay. we eat sandwiches a lot. So like hot dogs, so you can find them everywhere. Oh yeah, the completos. The completos. The Chilean like, hot dogs. The Chilean hot dogs, yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, Chileans dance salsa. <laughs> Well, I would say people can try to dance salsa, but we're not really good at dancing salsa because uh, that's more like from, uh, for example, if, if you know somebody from Colombia, Costa Rica, you know, or maybe from mm -hmm. Venezuela, they're going to be really good at dancing salsa. We tend to have our own version, but I don't think we're, I mean, we can try to dance salsa, but we're not really good at dancing okay. salsa. Yeah, I mean, I think that 
I don't think mm. when I think of salsa, I don't think of Chileans. Um, no. I don't think of Chile. I mean, I think of Cueca, which is yeah. the national dance here, you know, which is really popular in September. But other than that, I don't really think about Chileans really dancing That's much insane. as part of their culture. Okay. Tell me more about this dance. I love dancing, so I'm interested. <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, like Daniel said, we usually dance, uh, let's say, dance uh, to Cueca in September because that's where our national uh, national holiday let's say, takes place. And uh, let's say it kind of, let's say, imitates, uh, you know, like two birds, like a rooster and a hen. So the idea is like the man is like a rooster and like the woman is like a hen. So you have to try to, let's say, like dance with her, follow her. And it's been like, a, it's a very old dance, but it kind of, you know, re represents that. And um, I mean, I can send you a link so you can, let's say, watch the way it's dance. And it's pretty short, you know, like it takes like up to, I think like not more than two minutes, let's say per dance, because you can, there are different types of uh, like urban, yeah. you know, like more traditional. Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah. And I'll stick it on the show notes as well. So okay, anybody great. listening can have yes. a look. Brilliant. Oh, this I is such a productive conversation. Okay, <laughs> let's dive back in again. So can you talk about a couple of linguistic issues, including pronunciation, if you like, that are useful for a teacher to know about? I, I, I wrote the Chilean <laughs> language. I mean, I know it's Spanish, but it obviously has its own little idiosyncrasies. Yeah. Um, one thing that I think of is I think of the pronunciation and listening of vowels. So, for example, things like sing, sang, sung, it's very difficult for students to hear that difference. So um, what I find that I do is I say, all right, I'm going to say the first one and second smiling, sing. Yeah. <laughs> all right. And I have them imitate me. Okay. So now with me being from the United States, the way that I say sang, my jaw really drops and I exaggerate and say, say, so I say, sang yeah and i make them really say it and then exaggerate it with me sang and then sung so i say my lips are going to be rounded like i'm going to kiss someone sung <laughs> and i really i really exaggerate that and that's one thing that is nice with online classes is yeah. that students can really see your face yeah, um, I did um, a podcast about pronunciation and, and sort of in class and online just at the end of last year, 36 or 37, I can't remember which episode, but um, I talked about vowel sounds as well, because, you know, not all sounds are, um, are easy to do online, but vowel sounds are because you're it's changing the shape of your mouth. And the mm -hmm. way I do at and R uh, is I start with R uh, and I say, drop your jaw, R, uh, like this. And then for the uh, A sound, like apple, I say, do the same thing, R, uh, and then smile, R, uh, A. Uh like that oh interesting yeah mm -hmm. so it's nice yeah. to see different ways of doing it i think that that's something like the something that daniel mentioned is like because uh, that combination ng does not really exist here in spanish mm -hmm. i mean and and also like one of the um, uh, biggest difficulties that chilean Span chilean students face uh, in Spanish, we, at the end of words, if the word ends in an S, we tend to aspirate the S. So, for example, I'm, I'm going to say something like uh, martes, which is Tuesday. So I could just say Marte. So when students need to pronounce the final S at the end of a word in English, it's very difficult they have, because you have to really like focus. <laughs> I have to tell them, like, you have to say, you have to pronounce that and say, like, I don't know, uh -huh. bus or like works. <laughs> so you really have to say that. Otherwise... You know, because it's at the end, people would tend to, let's say, uh, not pronounce that uh, final sound. So I think that that kind of leads into also contractions mm -hmm. where you might say, I lived in the United States for four years versus I've lived in the United States for four years. You know, yeah. um, so there we see a difference in meaning. So we see that with contractions, also the past simple, like cook, yeah. cooked. Yeah. 
play yeah. played. So um, I think that carries over in that way also. Yeah. Lovely. Absolutely. So um, can you, we've talked a little bit about the general lifestyle, but can you give me um, some examples of some general lifestyle differences, including the cost of living that might be interesting for people to know? That I would say is a really, really big question. Um, yes. I mean, I think there's so much to say. I think one of the things that I really, really like is that I do not need a car living in Santiago. So I have no car payment. I don't have to pay for car insurance. I don't have to pay for gas, maintenance, all those things. And so Chileans, I think in general, don't really agree with me on this. But I think the transportation system in Santiago is pretty damn good. I mean, you know, you've got, I think, six subway lines now. You've got buses that run regularly. It's clean. You know, I think it's safe, you know, in most areas. And, you know, it is expensive compared to maybe other cities, but it does get you from point A to point B. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think like I agree with uh, with Daniel. I don't have a car. I have I ride my bike when I go to work. I usually take the subway, and I think that a transportation system is, uh, let's say, yeah, it's pretty good. And let's say in terms of um, maybe cost of living, I think that's a difficult question to answer because everything will depend on the type of job you have. For example, mm -hmm. uh, if you Daniel works as a freelance teacher. I work on a, I I work let's say at a university. And I also have some um, let's say I have a part time job. Um, let's say teaching private lessons, but let's say most of my work comes, I, I do most of my work at, at, at a university. So of course, and if, if you worked at a school, like if, as a full-time teacher. So I think it, everything will depend on the type of, of job you, you can find also, let's say language institutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one thing, um, trying to put it into context yeah. for anyone to understand, regardless of you know what currency they're thinking of, what type of lifestyle they're thinking of. So um, I believe the minimum wage now is about 400,000 Chilean pesos, yeah, yeah. maybe a little more than that. To give you an idea, I live in a one bedroom, one bath apartment in a nice neighborhood, not really upscale, but not really, you know, low, lower down um, either. You know, it's not like in a bad neighborhood. And so my rent is 365,000 Chilean pesos per month. What does so, that translate as in dollars? In dollars, that's probably about, it's hard to tell with the, uh, with the exchange rate. I would say like maybe about $600, $700 a month, which yeah. doesn't really sound about, it doesn't really sound like that much. But remember, the minimum wage is 400,000 Chilean pesos per month. So if like you take a look, if you're working a minimum wage job, you cannot afford to live on your own in a one bedroom, one bath apartment. Yeah. Um, so this is one issue that I think we saw come up in October of 2019, all the social inequality, and we saw, you know, the social unrest, you know, that all these decisions have, are being made that is affecting the lower class and the working class that can't really afford to pay for these things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think, let's say, in, in, in that way, let's say that, that that's true, like in... Uh, if you're not a professional, let's say, if you want to come, let's say, to, to Chile and let's say work as a teacher, let's say you will really have to work basically full time, you know, like to be able to afford, let's say, uh, an apartment or to have, let's say, uh, a good uh, life uh, style here. But I think it, it is possible. But for example, Daniel, how many hours do you, 
Do you usually teach uh, a week? So I usually teach about 25 hours a week. Yeah. Now, given the circumstances of us being online, you know, I don't have to worry about the time, you know, commuting to and from classes. Whereas in the past, I did have to consider that. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's not easy. I mean, I've been here 11 years. So, um, and the last five of you, those have been freelance. So that has helped, you know, building up my reputation, having the freedom to choose my students and things like that. Because I mean, schools here do not pay well, considering the amount of students you have. Um, you know, maybe some of, maybe some of the bilingual schools, maybe some of the schools, you know, that are really well off that I think they pay better. Yeah. But I think that overall, the conditions that you have and the expectations, it's so much work. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think, let's say, if you want to work here in Chile, you have to at least, let's say, be uh, expected to work, I don't know, between 30 and 40 hours a week teaching. That's a lot. Yeah. And that doesn't include your lesson planning, you know, everything else, grading and all that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Um, it's one of those things that, the ELT industry or whatever you want to call it it's the the standards are just so shockingly different from country to country you know in, in some countries you can have amazing conditions really good yeah. uh, pay and in others you've got absolutely no rights um, and low pay you know but in what can you tell us about the general working environment in a in a language school or or in a school that's a good question um i mean well When I was when I was a teaching assistant, there didn't really seem to be any type of support for the teachers. It seemed to be more about keeping the students and the parents happy. And I think that that comes about because of the privatized system. Yeah. And parents and students are seen as customers that yeah. have to be kept happy no matter what. Um, when I was working with an institute, uh, when I was working with institutes, I was paid hourly. Um, And so it was just paid for the out for the classes that I taught. Um, the first institute I was at had kind of like this homey atmosphere to it. And it was kind of like a kind of like a dysfunctional family, I guess you could say. Um, you know, but you didn't really have a human resources department. Um, you didn't have paid vacation, you didn't have, you know, sick leave or anything like that. So it was quite precarious. Um, the other, the other institute I was at paid better but it felt very, very corporate. And I just felt kind of like I was a number, you know, um, mm. and they were just focused on making more and more and more money. Um, and also, yeah, I mean, I think that um, it's an issue that's coming up. It's a bit taboo, but I think workplace bullying is a thing that happens, unfortunately. And if you don't have a human resources department to go to, um, you know, that, that can be kind of difficult to navigate. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, I had a similar experience, you know, like I, when I worked in a language institute, I think it was pretty, a really friendly environment. But I think in terms of relationship between, let's say, colleagues in my experience, yeah, it was, let's say, you know, good, you know, also with, with my bosses and things like that. The only bad thing that I saw, let's say, working at the language institute is like everything was based on the amount of hours you, you could teach because, you let's say, like Daniel said, you, you are paid uh, per hour. So let's say, yeah, if you could take, let's say, teach more hours, that's, that, that was going to be a, uh, for you, maybe uh, you're, you're going to receive a, a higher salary. But that would also, let's say, uh, involve working more, you know, like probably that's why, and it depend, it, let's say it will depend now, everything is online, but let's say when, uh, when we go back to a regular situation, you know, 
you have to go to a company, maybe maybe go back to the language institute or go to the school or go to the university, mm-hmm. maybe go until you, we have to move around a lot. You know? Okay. So was, in, it's, it's, it's a really big city. Yeah. In terms of working conditions, then you wouldn't rate Chile as the best in terms of language schools and teaching? I think um, it will, I, I, I think it depends on the type of job you have because probably there are some really good institutes. The maybe, let's say what happens is like, uh, for example, I'm Chilean. Daniel is, is 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 from the U.S. and sadly, this is something that happens. Let's say in most countries, uh, because we have the issue of native speakers, non-native speakers. So mm. you know, like we've we've talked about uh, this in our podcast as well. You know, like probably uh, native speakers are going to have let's say a good time, and also let's say they're going to be hired. You know. And we have some other issues, which is like the things that Daniel mentioned, like, like maybe the bureaucracy of the visa process, you know, and, uh, you know, but probably, let's say, uh, Chilean teachers, I mean, it's it's much more difficult for us, even though we can be, let's say, a little bit more, I mean, more prepared. I saw my colleagues have master's degrees, PhD yeah. degrees, you know, and things like that. But so that's also, let's say, something to consider probably for a native speaker is going to be because there are institutes that are only hire native speakers, you know? Yeah, it's a big problem. Yeah. I mean, I think I think this is a huge topic. And so I think that um, if you're just looking at Chile, I think it depends what your what people's expectations are coming into it. People should not come to Chile with the expectation that they're going to make a lot of money yeah. unless they're, you know, looking to go freelance, work really hard, be here 10, 15, 20 years. Okay. Um, you know, I think that, you know, they shouldn't compare it to like Japan, South Korea, anything like that. Um I mean, I think that you do find a sense of camaraderie at universities and at institutes. You know, um, I think it's just connecting with the right people. Yeah. Um, I think people make the place anywhere yeah. you go, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. But, so what's what's keeping you both there? What what aspect of living there do you love? I think for me, I, I really like the freedom. I really like Santiago as a city. You know, I have the beach a few hours away, so... When it's when a pandemic isn't happening, I can go away for a weekend. You know, um, there's so many things to do here. You know, you find so many different people that you can, can connect with. You know, and I love that I can be my own boss here. Okay. Yeah. I don't yeah. think doing something like this would be possible in the United States. No. Yeah. So let's say, well, in my case, yeah, I also like working here in Chile. I've been teaching for a long time, but I think it's something connected to what, what Daniel said. I think it's connected with, 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 with the right people and having, let's say, I've had, let's say, many, many, many jobs here in Chile. But let's say where I am right now, I think I'm pretty comfortable. But let's say it took me a while. And also I had to study abroad to do my master's degree to, let's say, to come back to Chile, let's say, feeling more uh, prepared. And also I think there are many things to do. There are many opportunities to create, but I to create stuff. That's why we created, let's say, the podcast. And the good thing is like, we don't, we don't really know where right now where we're going, but I think it's, it's going to take us somewhere. But let's say uh, it's easier to do that. But I think like Daniel said, I think it's key to say that the country is really good and also the coast is really close and it's a long country. So there are many things to do. Yeah. And also that it's like connecting with the right people. I think that's something that's, let's say key. And what would you recommend someone visiting Chile do or visit? What would be your, your favorite thing to do either in or outside of Santiago? (laughs) Well, I think let's say most people, when they come to Chile, they usually fly, let's say uh, into Santiago. You have two options here in Chile because Chile is like it's a really long country, four thousand kilometers of coast. Mm-hmm. So people either go to the to the desert in 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 the north, like the Atacama Desert, the the the, the driest desert on earth, or people go south to to Patagonia. 
So, but in between, since the country is so long, you can stop and do whatever, like many things, you know, but it depends if you like hot weather or if you want to, let's say, want to go to the, to the south of Chile. I don't know if you agree with me, Daniel. Yeah, definitely. I think that's the way that that's pretty much the same way I think about it. I'll tell people, you know, you can take four or five days to see Santiago, maybe go to Viña, Valparaiso. And then from there, I recommend going up north, you know, San Pedro, maybe Iquique, um, you know, or going to the South Patagonia, you know, Puerto Varas, you know, the lakes region, Yeah. you know, and I think they're so different. And that's one thing that's great. Yeah, um, and also, yeah, absolutely. About, you know, staying here. Yeah, the only thing is like, uh, when people look at a map, they they don't think that Chile is a very long country, but let's say one of many of my friends have come to Chile thinking that, yeah, you can just drive a car. Sure, you can drive a car to go to one place to the other, but then when I tell them, yeah, but it's a 12-hour ride, they say, but look at the map. I'm like, I know, that's the map. But <laughs> Trust me, yeah, I live here. <laughs> exactly, I live here. So yeah, you, yeah, you can take a bus from Santiago to uh, the, let's say, desert. From Santiago, you can take a bus or drive, and it would take you to the desert like 24 hours. Great. Driving. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that this is one of those things. Um, I, I saw I saw a report, and... Uh, Based on based on the Mercator map, uh, what they did way back, I think in the 1500s, 1600s, was that they made the English-speaking countries appear bigger on the map, and the non-English-speaking countries smaller. Yeah. <laughs> But then, if you look at the map to scale, you actually see how much larger South America is, how much larger Africa is, Europe is compared to the United States and other countries. Mm. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? So. Yeah. What's one piece of advice that both of you would give a teacher thinking about coming to live and work in Chile? Well, I would say, I mean, uh, the first thing is like you have to be pretty flexible and patient because, I mean, it takes time to, let's say, build up let your, your let's say, network. You have to get to know people. And most of the students that you're going to find, I mean, if you want to advertise yourself as an English teacher, uh, you're going to get more students based on word of mouth. I think that's something that happens to me and also, let's say, to... To Daniel, uh, but I think it's, um, of course, since we both live in Santiago, I would say that Santiago is the best place to, to, to live because it's bigger. Lots of people go to, let's say, to, to other regions, but I think it's much more difficult to find students and, let's say, to, to get a job because everything, let's say, in a way happens here in Santiago. I mean, there are like, I don't know, uh, I would say like 8 million people here in Santiago only. Yeah, I mean, I have, yeah, I have a good number of thoughts about this. And I, I would say the first thing, um, do a lot of research beforehand. Um, and I mean, I think that this is one thing that I was kind of guilty of. I went, you know, with this program and I expected everything was going to work perfectly. And it turns out that wasn't the case. <laughs> so I kind of had to figure things out when I was already here. Um, and so luckily it did work out in the end. But um, I mean, with social media and everything now, you can contact people by Facebook, Instagram, you can find blogs, all types of information. Um, so I would say that I would say Have a plan A, a plan B, a plan C. And as Jose Luis said, being flexible is really important. Um, one thing that I do want to mention that I forgot to mention earlier when you were asking about the cost of living, I actually wrote a blog post about this, um, considering you know the cost of an apartment, eating out food, utilities, and things like that. Um, if you'd like, I can go ahead and send that to you if you want to include that in the show notes. Absolutely. Thank you. That would be brilliant. Is there anything else yeah. you'd like to say, Jose Luis? Well, I think, let's say, um, finding, 
I mean, it will depend on on the type of job that you would like to have. For example, if you would like to go work at a school, you'll be more than welcome to work at, at a school. But that you need to know that you know that's going to be working with 40 students or let's say between 30 and 40 students in a classroom. And I think if you want to do that, I did that and it was fun, you know, but it was, uh, it was really, let's say time consuming planning my lessons. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was tired, you know, after yeah. the end of the academic year, I was really yeah. tired. And, uh, but let's say, yeah, but language Institute, I think that's, that's possible. I don't know. Uh, uh, let's say you will have to be really willing to uh, like something that we both said before, be flexible and be patient. And like Daniel said, something that, we've discussed, I think, in our last episode of, of our podcast is like that we need to, let's say, consider some other sources of income. For example, working at a language yeah. institute and teaching privately or working at a yeah. university and teaching privately or, you know, doing a combination of things. Mix it up a Definitely. bit. Great. Yes. Definitely, yeah. And I'm going to leave my most important question to last. What food would you recommend somebody try when they're visiting <laughs> Chile? Daniel, you go first and then I'll, I have well, some. If we're, if we're talking about Chilean food, um, well, I do have to say that I don't really like a lot of seafood and things like that. I'm already fishy enough. Um, <laughs> so if we take out seafood and that element of, you know, Chile being all along the coast, I would probably have to say Choriana. And mm-hmm. so it is French fries, usually meat, sausage, fried egg, um, onions, I believe that those are usually the typical ingredients. Wow, yes. that sounds like um, a heart attack on a plate. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. <laughs> we we can also send you a picture, so let's say people have an idea what that looks oh, like. Oh yes, please. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, I think there are many things. But I'm gonna try to pick, let's say, a few. Okay. Uh, Chileans, I mean, in, in in let's say world rankings, we eat bread a lot. Bread is part of, let's say, our. It's like a, it's part of an important part of our diet because we have, let's say, uh, bakeries everywhere. So people like bakeries, and so we we really we have coffee, you know, with sweets with sweet things. So that's one of the things. Another thing I can think of, well, fish. If you like seafood, that I mean, we have four thousand kilometers of coast, so the amount of let's say seafood you can find is awesome. And also, if you like wine, absolutely. And my, my personal favorite, of course, avocados. If you like avocados, here in Chile, they're everywhere. Oh. So you can, we yeah. have avocados <laughs> with, let's say we yeah. put them in our salad and also sandwiches. And like the, um, we have our Chilean hot dogs. I mean, they're called Italianos, which translates like an Italian hot dog because it has a, you know, a you know, piece of bread, of course, a sausage, uh, tomato, uh, avocado and mayonnaise and it kind of resembles like the Italian flag so that's why it's like it's called an uh, Italiano sounds yeah. amazing <laughs> oh. you know there is one more food that I think of when I think of Chilean food and it's okay. nothing that I'm really partial to but here they are obsessed with the mayonnaise okay ah uh, yeah true I have seen so they will put mayonnaise and avocado and ketchup and onions on a hot dog <laughs> um, they put mayonnaise on corn. They put mayonnaise in rice. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if they had like a mayonnaise flavored ice cream. You know, no, one no, that's, or another that's too much. That's way too much. But we do have like, let's say, like some sort of like a potato salad with mayonnaise. But yeah, that's true. And also, if you like meat, we also uh, barbecues like with Argentina. Uh, we have the same sort of tradition if you like barbecues you know like um, this is like a really big social event so barbecues to celebrate you know anything this this is just completely turned into a food podcast so I think we need to (laughs) wrap it up I'm starving now Um, guys thank you so much this has been really really interesting and um, I, I just I'm really grateful for your time 
you know, thank, thank you, you so much for having us. Um, it was a good conversation. And then we're going to be sending you some evidence of, let's say, uh, of, of the things we talked about, including our national dance, you know, and some food that uh, Daniel and I mentioned. Sounds yes. amazing. Thank you so okay. much. Thank you very much. Thanks Aaron. so much, Aaron. <laughs>